I'm Kelly Cervantes, and this is Seizing Life, a weekly podcast produced by Citizens United for Research in Epilepsy. Cure. Today, I'm joined by Joanne Guthrie-Gard. She is a mother and advocate who helped push forward legislation in Illinois to prevent insurers from changing the terms of prescription drug coverage in the middle of the year when consumers are already locked into their plans. When the insurer changed the coverage for her daughter Erin's epilepsy medications, she was forced to take a new med or pay $10,000 for the original med. With few options available to them, Erin tried the new med, but the side effects were so severe that Joanne feared for her daughter's safety when sending her to school. Eventually, Joanne was able to work with the insurance company to get the treatment her daughter needed covered. But this process took months. With the help of the Epilepsy Foundation of Greater Chicago, Joanne was able to be the face and voice of Illinois House Bill 4146, culminating in its successful passage into law. Joanne, thank you so much for coming and chatting with us today. I am always thrilled to be joined by another supermom. Well, thank you. So I want to start by getting your story. How did epilepsy enter your life? Um, well, when Erin was eight, eight years old. And Erin is, is your daughter. Is my daughter. Um, that is actually when she was first diagnosed. But we we think that possibly she was actually having what are called absence seizures or staring seizures for maybe even a year in advance. And then that culminated into a big, you know, what they call grand mal seizure when she was in school. Um, once she was diagnosed, we started her on, you know, of course they start with one medication. Mm-hmm. And uh, and as probably 99% of the, the parents out there with children or even ad- adult onset epilepsy, um, it almost never works with the first one or the second one or the third one. Um, so we went on a journey of four years before we found kind of a cocktail mm-hmm. of medications that um, didn't keep her seizure free, but kept her fairly controlled where okay. maybe she'd only have you know two or three a day, which she was in school and they would happen in school and she would get through the seizure and then go on with her day. Um, but it took us four years to, to find that, which I know that that's a lot of people with those specialized conditions, not just epilepsy, but a lot of different conditions. When you find that medication that works for you, you don't want to lose it. No. You don't want to lose it. So we were in a, on a good trajectory for a while. And then when she got into high school, um, she started having um, very bad dizzy spells like vertigo where she was nauseous, her legs, she said, would feel like noodles, where she just she couldn't even stand up. It would put her down for probably about two to three hours. Oh my gosh. And if it happened when, it, when she was already in school, um, she would go to the nurse's office, lay there for a couple of hours, and then go back to, to class. Sometimes it would happen on her way to the bus. Sometimes it would happen even before she left home. And this went on for probably about six or seven months. And when um, the doctor then said what they felt was happening was one of her medications was being metabolized differently now. You know, the body goes through changes when you become Puberty. a teenager. Uh-huh. So now you're dealing with um, how is the body reacting to what had worked for like six years. And so we had to deal with it. We couldn't change the medication. So we just had to deal with these, this side effect and sometimes missing school, 
completely and then sometimes missing maybe just a couple of hours in the morning. Okay. But it, you know, we were more for trying to get the seizure control. So that's the tough thing as a parent too. Yeah. Are you willing to deal with the side effects that are keeping them from having too many seizures, you know? Or do you not give them that medication because of how it makes them feel, but now you're dealing with yeah. the, the, the seizures? The age-old quality of life question. Exactly. Finding that, that magical balance. And, and most of us don't find that balance, that you're almost kind of, you're, you're just sort of fudging along the way, and every day is a little bit different. You really don't know what the day is going to bring to you that day. Um, but what happened was when she was in high school was that same medication the pharmaceutical company came out with an extended version, so or an XR, extended release. So it would have a coating on it mm -hmm. that then the coating would just kind of wear away after she took it and the medication was, was put into her system at a slower rate than just taking the tablet that she was taking. I called the doctor as soon as I saw the extended release came out, because I think I knew before he did almost. Um, Super mom. And he said, <laughs> absolutely, let's try it. Wrote a prescription for it, and the day Erin started taking that extended release medication is the day her symptoms stopped. Wow. She was it was the exact same again. med she was on before. It was just a slightly different delivery system. Yes, exactly. And it worked phenomenally. And, and so, of course, we were very happy. And about three months in, I get a letter from the uh, insurance company saying that they are no longer going to cover the extended release and that she had to go back to the, the tablet version. The issue, though, with that is that there was no generic for it. So it's not even that I could say, well, why don't we try the generic? So what was the insurance company's reasoning? There really wasn't a reason. Um, I knew that it was very expensive. Mm -hmm. And so when I did look into, well, what would it cost for retail for yeah. it? And it was $10,000 is what it would cost us for each prescription. Because that's reasonable. Of course. <laughs> Since I didn't have $10,000 laying around just begging to be, to you know, be spent. Why not, Joanne? We had to go back to the other medication so you have to go back to this med, mm -hmm. which is um, the side effects are frankly dangerous. Absolutely. Um, yeah. So you call the insurance company and they just say, nope, sorry, we're not, there's nothing you can do. Nope, sorry, yep. And when the symptoms came back again, you know, uh, you know it's, it's one of those things where then, you know, as a, as a parent, you know, and as an advocate, you yeah. have to be the voice. And, and, and I think there's a difference between, you know, someone that comes in as like a bull in a china shop Right, um, you know, I would say in a lot of these cases, but I don't, I don't think that you need to come in and be all meek and timid and ask that way. I really think that there's a balance between the two, and I think that that's where I've also learned that um, I am the squeaky wheel, mm -hmm. you know, um, but I don't do it to the point where people are, you know, shutting me out. So I think that if you go in and you're educated you know, educate yourself on things, make sure that you know what you're talking about. And I went into our doctor's office, which I really encourage people to really use their, um, their medical community. Use your nurses, I mean, yeah. you know how amazing they are. And, and I, they know a lot, mm -hmm. they see a lot. And I think that, so what I did is I went into and talked to our epileptologist nurse, and I said, this is not acceptable. I'm scared for Aaron. There's got to be something that we can do. 
And so she actually wrote a letter and appealed to the insurance company. Now the first appeal came back rejected. And so then what do you do? You go back a second time. Yeah. And that, that and again, the argument was that it is, it is putting her in danger. Her safety is our utmost concern because of falling, maybe going downstairs where she's dizzy and she can't catch herself. Um, so that did come back and it was approved. And that is actually, it's called prior authorization. Mm -hmm. As long as you've got the backing of your doctor, you know, I would encourage people just to keep pressing forward if they really feel that there's a medical reason. And because they call it non-medical switching. And so you've got people on the insurance side that are making decisions based on business. Right. Not based on the medical decision of why, you know. So sometimes there's good reasons to change. And if you do have a condition where you don't necessarily have to have the cost of a brand name and you can switch over to a generic, then, you know, more power to you. If you can spend $20 instead of $100, sure. why wouldn't you, right? right? So, um, but I think that what's difficult is, is that the people that are making those decisions behind the scenes are not making them based on what the medical decision is for right. why that person is taking that that drug, especially in situations where they've maybe spent years mm -hmm. going through multiple different types of prescriptions to figure out what that one is that works. And now you have someone telling you after your four year search, we're not covering that anymore. And you know, in the middle of your contract with this insurance plan. So it's not like you can get out of it and switch to a new insurance plan. You're caught between a rock and a hard place. And especially in with, with the way the medical um, care works now, like with Obamacare, where people are actually um, purchasing their own insurance policies. Mm -hmm. So when you've got someone that has a special need or has a certain kind of condition within your family, of course, part of your research is you're gonna make sure that that medication that they're taking that is keeping them functional, keeping them alive, right, is covered by that plan. Of course. So you buy into the plan, you sign on the dotted line, January the 1st, it starts, right? You're, you're now locked in until open enrollment and the next January the 1st. And you get a letter in March that says, as of July the 1st, we're not covering your medication anymore. So what happens? You know, yeah. you, you have a really difficult decision to make. And a lot of times what they'll do is, instead of covering this, we'll cover you on this. Right, right? we've gotten those letters And it before. may be the generic, but that person behind the scenes that isn't the medical person doesn't know that, like Erin, because her epilepsy is so difficult to treat, whenever a new medication would come out, a lot of times that's what the the, the doctor would try her on. Mm -hmm. And so by the time a generic would come out, she's already been on this medication for six years. Right. I'm not switching her if it no. works. <laughs> no, I'm not of switching course you're her not. if it works. So, so again, those people that are back there that are going, oh, there's a generic for this now. That's the one you need to take. Yeah. And so a lot of times what they'll do too is they'll change the tiers. So it'll be moved into a tier that all of a sudden, maybe the tier that that medication was on before or the formulary is 
forty dollars. Mm-hmm. Now in the middle of the year, now they're moving the formulary and they're putting you on a different tier, and now it's one hundred and twenty dollars, mm-hmm. or four hundred dollars, or or whatever that combination is. But you've got people that you know go to fill their prescription, and all of a sudden the cost has quadrupled for them. Well, and I think it's also important to remember that a lot of um, epilepsy patients are not on just one med. Right. So you're talking, you know, <laughs> you're like, oh, $120 a month for a med, and get that's still a lot of money. Right. But it's not the only one. It's, yeah. Aaron's on six. Wow. Which is the most of any of the patients of the epileptologist that she sees at Northwestern right now. Now, how is Aaron doing now? She's doing better than, let's say, two or three years ago, believe it or not. But we do a lot. And she's 27. She's 27. So she was diagnosed when she was eight. So we've been going through it for a really long time. Um, Mm -hmm. We're really trying to work on trying to get the medications, the dosages and everything lowered. So we can kind of see where that threshold is. So if we know that if we go down here, this is seizures. Mm -hmm. But if we're right here, this is seizure-free. Right. We don't want to be up here if we can be here. Right. So um, so that's kind of what we're working with now. Um, we're, we're at the point now too where she she's kind of embracing, even after all these years, she's embracing, you know, um, also being an advocate, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there was a time where it was just a dirty word to her and, and I couldn't have a conversation with anybody about her epilepsy without really upsetting her. Mm-hmm. Um, so we went through a period of time where she didn't go to any epilepsy events with me. She didn't do any of the educational things that I like to do and learn. You know, she didn't want any part of it. And I would say probably about four years ago, she started kind of embracing it. And, uh, and, and I was very proud of her this year when we had the opportunity to, um, to get involved in, in the bill. Yeah. And, uh, and she, she stepped up. She sure did. So I really want to talk about that and how that came about. So you had this experience eventually through, with assistance from your doctor's office, Mm -hmm. you were able to get insurance to cover that med. One of the medications she takes is still that same medication. It's amazing. Yeah. So how does that experience translate into the legislation that you helped pass? What, yeah. what started that journey? It was started with the House bill, and there was actually a representative, uh, Laura Fine, um, who this happened to her husband. So it was kind of when they changed the formulary in the middle of the year, and he went to pick up his medication, and the, the price had quadrupled. She was like, this isn't right. So she was the one that sort of spearheaded and, and, and wrote the bill. Um, bipartisan uh, from both sides of the aisle, mm-hmm. lots of support from both sides. So there was a medical coalition in Illinois that was put together of all these different medical organizations. So the Epilepsy Foundation, um, you know, the, the Arthritis Association, the Heart Association, because these are all conditions where they're very dependent on medication and sometimes very specific medication. Mm-hmm. So they kind of had this medical coalition and uh, they contacted the foundation and they said, hey, do you know of any families that may have gone through this that would be able to tell their story? And so when I got the phone call, it's kind of like, you know, you and Aaron have gone through so much. Cause, uh, so I kind of figured that you guys have probably gone through this. And it was like, <laughs> as a matter yeah. of fact, yeah, yeah. And so they put me in touch with this uh, Tribune um, uh, journalist, writer, and they did um, an article. And it included the information about the, um, the House Bill of 4146 and what the issue was and what had happened, you know, to us. 
And, um, and then I went down to Springfield and went to um, the House Committee. Um, I didn't get to testify, but I did go down, show support, and they did, I did write up a little thing about Erin, and so they did actually tell her story, what had happened with us. And, uh, and it went through and was passed on the House floor, which then goes over to the Senate. You learn a lot about Springfield and how laws get, <laughs> how laws get you know, when you get really involved in that, right? You don't really know how it all works until you're like actually there. Yeah. Um, so then it goes over to the Senate committee, okay. a health committee. And um, because we did have a little bit more advance notice, we were able to arrange for Aaron to, to actually testify in person. Oh, that's amazing. And I could not have been more proud of her to sit up there. And we went around and talked to the senators on the committee in advance. And we actually got one of them to change his vote, too. He, he was getting a lot of pressure from insurance you know, um, mm -hmm. uh, lobbyists um, to not vote for it. And, um, and we actually got him to change his vote. And so, she, which of course she was just so excited about. She but should she, be. Yeah, yeah. And so then it went to the Senate floor and it actually passed unanimously through the Senate. But ironically enough, the day that it passed unanimously through the Senate, um, I got an email that two of Aaron's medications were not going to be covered as of July 1st. Stop yeah. it. Yeah, the day, the day. So did you call the insurance company and you say- betcha I did. You're like, actually, <laughs> you're going to because I personally- guess what? I know, this is gonna get, I know this is gonna get signed. The thing is, is that I got it as an email. It was not a, a hard letter in the mail. Got you're it as an email. Me. And the email subject, and this is, this is a lesson for anybody who gets email um, uh, communication from like their insurance companies or whatever. Um, open it. <laughs> open it. it. It came across to me as a market. At first in the subject, I thought it was more of a marketing thing, trying to get me, they've always been trying to get me to, um, to switch over to generics. Sure. I only do brands. Like I said, that's why, because she's been on it for six years. And it works years. and you're not messing with it. No. Um, but I almost didn't open it. And for whatever reason, I opened it. And it was as I'm of July the 1st. i that they're yeah. allowed to send that in And that was May. Form. So I had five weeks five weeks before they weren't going to cover that medication anymore. You can't get them off of, yeah, no, it doesn't no. work that way. But I also knew that there is something called prior authorization. Mm -hmm. So I went through the same process with the doctor's office mm -hmm. as what I had gone through 10 years earlier to have the medical reason for why she needs to be kept on the brand. Mm -hmm. And it was approved and it was approved the first time through this time oh, that's nice. as well. <laughs> Right. <laughs> you have so much time to be spending on things like this. And yeah. the other thing is that it frustrates me that the doctor's office has to spend time on this because right. that takes them away from the patient. Absolutely, it does. They shouldn't have Absolutely. to be fighting, arguing medical care with an insurance company. But yeah. I digress. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the bill is passed. So the bill is passed and then it goes to the governor's desk. So, um, you know, and of course then too, there's this lag time in there, mm -hmm. right? And then of course, you never know what a governor is going to veto. Sure. It could be a bill that makes and all the sense in the world and for whatever reason, you know, at least we knew the opposition had been uh, removed because of the tweaks that they had made. Okay, so what was the opposition? What reason did these uh, 
government officials have to not vote for it or for the governor to not sign it. Right. So you've got insurance companies that what they do is they would move the formulary around. Again, putting putting things on different tiers. Okay. Okay. So if you have something that is on a lower tier, that might be your generics, you know, that type of thing. If you have something that's on a much higher tier, those would be the more expensive medications. So um, the whole thing about them being able to, again, mid-year, be able to move things around tiers, that was a big part of it. You know, you can't change someone's coverage in the middle of the year. So by what, what they now are able to do is they would still have to make the offering. So in the mid-year, they would be able to move a tier at the beginning of the next year. They would be able okay. to move around the formulary. So you might still get an email in May that will say, we're no longer covering this medication for Adelaide, but now you've got until January the 1st to be able to find that replacement or go through the prior authorization and that type of thing. So, so you're not you under time. the, it buys you tons of time. And if the insurance, you go through all of it and they're still not going to cover it, which is usually if you fight and you yeah. go, you can, you can usually win if yeah. you're, you know, stick your feet in. Yeah. But, um, but then you know, and you can start hunting for the next insurance company. For the next that insurance will. company, exactly. What advice do you give to patients or caregivers out there who see a legislative concern in in their community? You know, I know that the you know the House bill that you were a part of came mm -hmm. to you, right? But having been in this in this world. Um, for the, the patient, the parent that wants to get into um, political advocacy, what avenues do you recommend? Um, I, I think first, get do get involved in, in foundations and organizations because typically they will have like a, a lobbying group or an advocacy group or, the, you know, that maybe they have an employed on their staff, you know, someone who just does um, Springfield advocacy or DC advocacy. So I think tapping into those people to see maybe what kind of legislation there might be out there where maybe you can add something to it. Mm -hmm. um, or even just learning what's out there so that if you know that it's a bill that's in Springfield, maybe it's already a bill that is you know in a committee somewhere, then find out who's on that committee. Yeah. Pick up the phone and call them, especially if it's your own, you know, if it's your own representative yeah. or if it's your own senator, um, they will listen. They really will listen. And you are their constituent and they, you're a vote. Mm -hmm. And every legislator that is in Springfield, you have a senator who lives in your area or has an office in your area, and then you have a representative who is also in your area. So they keep offices in both places. And when Springfield is not in session, when the General Assembly is sort of off, um, which you can go online to find out what their schedule is so you know exactly when they're not in session. But when they're not, they're usually keeping office hours locally. So your, um, your, state, your, your representative typically is much close, might be much closer to your home because um, they, they cover a smaller area. Mm -hmm. And then your senator co covers a much larger area. So their, their office may not necessarily be like right in your community. Sure. Um, but that's where I would go. I would find out when are they going to be in the office, and I would make an appointment. You know, make a 15-minute appointment to go in and introduce yourself, and then let them know about maybe some concerns that are happening in your life. 
that you know, um, you know, with prescriptions or with anything that would be going on because it's their job mm -hmm. to know what the issues are in their own area and with the constituents that are around. I did that with my representative, and actually after Erin uh, and I were in Springfield when she testified in front of the Senate committee, I made an appointment with my senator and went and spent time with her to make sure that she understood that it was super important for me <laughs> for her to vote yes for that bill. And then also, if you've got younger children, you know, or like you know, with Aaron, once I realized that she had kind of gotten out of that funk, um, she came with me to everything. She saw how I talked about it and how passionate I was about it. And of course, with kind of how long it's taken us to get here, you know, I'm starting just to see her confidence, you know, building up, um, which just means everything. But I think that the most important thing is, is that you, you can't be silent. You right. just can't be silent. Couldn't agree more. And uh, I always felt other people, you know, how can I expect someone else to do it for me, you know, and benefit and have Aaron benefit from someone else's work um, if I'm not willing to go out and do it myself. You yeah. are a wealth of information, and I am so happy you were able to come and join us today. The true epitome of a super mom. Well, thank you. Thank you so, so much. Thank you for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you so much, Joanne, for giving us advice on how to be political advocate on Seizing Life. It is so important that we understand the power we hold as voters and citizens of our country. Please share Joanne's story with other epilepsy families so that they can learn to be a voice in their own local governments. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect the views of CURE. The information contained herein is provided for general information only and does not offer medical advice or recommendations. Individuals should not rely on this information as a substitute for consultations with qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with individual medical conditions and needs. CURE strongly recommends that care and treatment decisions related to epilepsy and any other medical condition be made in consultation with a patient's physician or other qualified healthcare professionals who are familiar with the individual's specific health situation.